0: Coming up, where's my kid's Halloween costume, Amazon? Why Google can't build a burger. And we take a close look at what the internet is doing to your social life. It's Tuesday, the best day of the week. It's Halloween. This is Steve Tushanko, and you are listening to the New England Tech Podcast. Podcast is brought to you by Hammerhead Content Management Solutions for media organizations and content creators. Hey, you love to write, so why do you hate to publish? Visit us at hammerheadcms.com. Music in the show is by Kurt Baker, Lame Drivers, Monkey Mind, The Pharaohs, and The Barracudas. Well, happy Halloween, everybody. I hope you're all having a terrific holiday. If Halloween does qualify as a holiday, it's a holiday, isn't it? It's not Thanksgiving or Christmas, but it's a holiday of sorts. It's a very kid-focused holiday where kids go trick-or-treating and get candy. But certainly in recent years, it's uh, taken on more of an adult bent with adults going to parties and dressing up in crazy, sexy costumes of various crazy, sexy varieties. It's, it's an interesting thing. Halloween it's a very American thing I bet you a lot of people think that Halloween is celebrated all over the world but it's not it's very much an American sort of celebration and other countries don't get it so much I know a lot of different companies have tried to profit off of Halloween by bringing it internationally and it's never really caught on as I understand not that I'm an expert on international holidays but this is what I hear this is just what I hear so I have a son seven years old and he is going trick-or-treating today on Halloween. So I ordered him a costume. It was a good costume. It was a Nemo costume from the classic Pixar film Finding Nemo and more recently Finding Dory. And where do you get a costume? Where do you get a Halloween costume? Well, it shouldn't surprise you to know that I got it off of Amazon where you get everything, where you buy everything. For one thing, Costumes on Amazon tend to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's why Amazon is Amazon, right? That's how Amazon got to be Amazon. Better deals, better deals, better costumes, better prices. I went into one of those Halloween party stores that you see, those pop-up stores that open in defunct drugstores all the time. And the costumes were like three times the price as they were on Amazon. So, therefore... I went to Amazon where I get everything. And I'm a Prime member, too. And that's why you become a Prime member. That's why Amazon wants you to be a Prime member. So you will order everything there. And the promise that Amazon gives you is you pay them $99 a year. I think it's still $99. You pay them $99 a year. And they will give you free shipping on every eligible item and two-day shipping besides, right? And that worked for a long time. It was a great thing, Prime two-day shipping for free. I've certainly ordered a lot of things. So when did I order this costume? I ordered it on Thursday, six days before Halloween. Is that six days? Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, five days. Not six days, five days. I'm doing the math for you here. And you'd think that five days would be pretty good, right? That would be enough. Amazon promises two-day shipping. So order in five days in advance, it'll get there, right? Order it five days in advance. I thought that was uh, elementary, a simple, simple matter, and we would be all good for Halloween. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. I got a very disturbing email on Sunday from Amazon that said, guess what? Your order has shipped. And I said, shipped? I ordered this on Thursday. Why is it shipping on Sunday? And then the email told me that, The costume would be there on Wednesday. Now, Halloween is, of course, Tuesday. So a Halloween costume that arrives on Wednesday isn't really much good, is it? Doesn't do anything for me. And yet, that is what Amazon told me. I have to wonder, what has happened to Amazon? They used to be so good, and this is not the first time I've seen this Happen. This has been happening more and more, even as Amazon pours billions and billions of dollars more into its infrastructure, even as it opens distribution centers throughout the country, I've noticed the shipping speeds are actually getting worse. And what's even worse is that not only are they deteriorating, but Amazon is breaking that promise. They're breaking that two day promise. Now, I'm sure if you look in the prime fine print somewhere, it tells you not really two days. But nonetheless, that's what they advertise. That's what they promise. That's what I was expecting to get. And that is what increasingly I'm not getting. So even though this has happened before, I thought, well, five days is going to be plenty. You know, maybe it'll take three. Maybe it'll even take four. Um, But certainly it'll get there in time. Six days. That's where the six days comes from, right? I ordered on Thursday and it gets there on Wednesday. That's why I was thinking five days and not six days. So this is kind of absurd and i wonder whether amazon is getting overconfident they're so dominant now they've killed so much retail that now they can pretty much do whatever they want they can send out halloween costumes to arrive the day after halloween whatever who cares Am I going to cancel my Prime subscription? Well, not yet. I would love to sit here on my podcast and threaten Amazon and say, hey, I'm I'm ending Prime because you're not getting it done anymore. But I'm not. I'm not. I just get too much from Prime. There are too many services. The free shipping is great, even if it doesn't arrive on time. I get streaming video. It really is a terrific deal. But at a certain point, Amazon is going to have to pay the piper. And they're going to have to realize that they're going to start losing some customers if they don't get this done anymore at least i hope so in a perfect world that's how capitalism is supposed to work right that's not how monopolies work uh that's not how monopolies work at all and amazon is kind of a monopoly though they have not been challenged as such in court we covered that a couple months ago here on the podcast how amazon is a virtual monopoly but is not really being treated as a monopoly well We are all starting, I think, to realize the results of that. No one more than me with this Halloween debacle. So you know what I'm doing? I'm doing it the old-fashioned way. I'm going to an actual store, which you walk into, and I'm going to get a Halloween costume probably for three times more than Amazon would charge. But they've let me no choice. I've already printed the return label. I'm going to return this costume and... Amazon still has me. They have me, right? They've got me. I'm not happy. I complained. But what really am I going to do? What am I going to do? I can't afford to lose Amazon. So I'm just going to have to cross my fingers and hope this doesn't happen again. Happy Halloween, everybody. Hope it went better for you than it did for me. More members of the Trump administration are being indicted this week. Probably some have been indicted already one can only imagine the indictments that are to come but we are not going to discuss that on this show even though there may be some tech elements in russian interference in the u.s presidential election instead let's find out what's in our news Of today square has unveiled a new cash register intended for larger businesses it's called the register now i don't know if you're familiar with square but they are one of the most innovative companies out there and i think one of the most under the radar influential companies out there probably a lot of people don't think about square because they're not necessarily as consumer facing As other tech companies, they are consumer facing, interestingly enough, but their brand isn't really supposed to be out there so much. But they are incredibly innovative. They have revolutionized point of sale, which is basically where you actually buy things in a store. Their importance can't really be discounted. Square started as a company that gave small businesses and even individual business owners the ability to conduct transactions conduct financial transactions just like much larger businesses did their first product that they ever came out with was an attachment for smartphones so you've probably seen this you plug it in to your phone and then you can swipe credit cards and suddenly you can be an individual business owner with no employees but yourself and you can be conducting credit card transactions on the spot Maybe you've seen this done at, at art fairs or, or things like that, just as a huge business would. It really was kind of revolutionary. Now, increasingly, you may have noticed Square systems in stores um, or restaurants, right? Maybe you've even had with running Square software to you to, to sign and leave a tip. Um, it's it's really great. It's, it's a great thing. Um, and... There are other systems that Square has uh, made available actually at the counter, not those iPads that you bring around. Maybe you've seen these too. You conduct a transaction and the cashier swivels the, uh, the device around to you and then you sign, um, maybe you leave a tip if, if appropriate, and then the cashier swivels it back to themselves. Well those systems are increasing greatly in popularity, but that swiveling is a little bit of a problem. If you're a a huge business, you don't necessarily want to tolerate that. You want to make it as seamless as possible. So this new device called the register has been released by Square and this could really make them ubiquitous, completely ubiquitous, because who wouldn't have this, right? Who wouldn't have it? This new device has two screens, not one. So the cashier is looking at it, you the customer are looking at it, and there's no swiveling necessary. <laughs> the transaction just happens. It also works offline. And very importantly for large businesses, it allows branding, right? So prior to the release of the register, you were typically just looking at swear branding or non-branding as it were, it didn't really look branded at all. But now if you own a chain of you know dozens of stores, you can make it look like this is yours. You can white label it, make it look like your own software. That's always been really important to me as someone who's worked for large companies, actually as a product manager for large digital organizations. My big thing, kind of my trademark has been nobody should realize we bought this software. Everybody should think we built it ourselves. We need to brand it. We need to make it in our image. And that is what Square is allowing businesses to do now. Uh, Square is such a great example, I think, of uh, of of an innovative tech company that's really changing the game. Because think about cash registers for a second. Think about when you were a kid and what cash registers looked like. And think about what cash registers look like now. For the most part, they probably look the same, right? Because they worked and nobody's been innovating. Nobody's been innovating. But now Square is coming along and they're saying, we can do this better. And your experience not only as a business owner but as a customer will be better and that to me is what tech is all about in fact square's head of hardware was quoted as saying that the register's intent is to replace quote the giant beige and gray boxes that are out there in the world and i think that's a very admirable goal because they're so dated i mean why can't a cash register in any business why can't it have integrated electronic receipts Why can't it have built-in tipping? Why can't it have things like that? Uh, Now the register is pricey. Uh, It is intended for larger businesses. It costs $999, uh, which actually isn't a huge commitment for businesses of that magnitude. But more importantly, it will collect 2.5% of every transaction for Square and 10 cents for each transaction for Square. That's it. That's a pretty sweet deal right there. Think about this. Imagine you run a company where you say, hey, every single time you sell anything, we get two and a half percent of that. We get 10 cents every single time. A giant corporation with thousands of locations potentially uh, performs any sort of transaction at the point of sale. That's a good business. And that's the kind of business model that leads to Serious, serious success. So I have a lot of faith in Square in the future. By the way, uh, to bring it back to this New England connection, the one place that you can see the register in action right now is in stores owned by Vermont's own Ben & Jerry's. Next up, the tech world is mired in a major new controversy about Burger Emoji. Now, I don't know if you've heard about this. It it actually was pretty big in the news yesterday, but everyone is up in arms about what the proper burger emoji looks like. Now, every mobile provider is required to have a burger emoji available, right? Sometimes you're chatting, you're texting, and you want to indicate that burgers are in play. So you're going to need a burger emoji. Why just type burger? Why just type burger when you can send somebody an image of a burger? But which burger are you going to send? What is that burger going to look like? This is a very important issue. And controversy is raging over Google's version of the burger emoji. Now, Google's version includes the cheese below the burger patty. This is controversial if you're familiar with Burgers and cheeseburgers specifically, because it is well known by burger aficionados that the cheese goes above the burger patty, not below. Let me take a step back here and explain what we're talking about. Now, there is an organization out there called the Unicode Consortium. It is a nonprofit organization, and they define what emoji are going to look like or not what they're going to look like, but what they're going to be. So they say, well, now we've got a standard burger emoji, but each platform, such as Android, such as iOS, must interpret for themselves what that emoji is going to look like, such as the burger emoji. Google took a look at it and said, you know what? A cheeseburger has cheese in the bottom. It just says cheese in the bottom. But everyone takes a look at that and they, they say, no, that is not true. That is not what a cheeseburger is. Now, particularly, this is where it gets really fascinating. The Google version of the burger emoji is being negatively compared to Apple's, right? It's just another example of Apple versus Google, Google versus Apple, Android versus iOS, right? It's this all over again playing out in the burger sphere. But here is the fascinating part. Apple's burger emoji, the iOS burger emoji, is not accurate either. They put the cheese in the right place. They put it at the top. I guess that's the most visible part. But their burger emoji also includes the lettuce under the patty, under the patty. Now, people who know burgers say there is a proper way to make a cheeseburger. It is the burger patty, the cheese above that, all the toppings above the cheese. That's how you do it. That's how you build a burger. It's elementary, but nobody seems to be able to get it right. Google got it the most conspicuously wrong, but Apple also got it wrong. In fact, between Google, Apple, Microsoft, and Samsung, the four major purveyors of different emoji sets, it is, believe it or not, only Microsoft that gets it right. Microsoft has the patty, the cheese, Then all the toppings, we didn't talk about Samsung. Samsung, pretty close. They've got the burger patty. Then they've got the lettuce on top of that. Then the cheese on top of that. And then the tomato, the toppings, the lettuce and the tomato are actually sandwiching the cheese. That's just bizarre, right? You can't do that. You just can't do that. So everyone, everyone has their eye on the burger emoji, including... Google CEO Sundar Pichai, this is actually true. He says he will, quote, drop everything to address the burger controversy. But as of right now, this important controversy has gone unaddressed. I've been getting increasingly into meetup.com lately. Are you familiar with meetup.com? It is a website where you can join one of probably, I don't know how many, tens of thousands of different communities in your local area. And you can meet people in person now the reason i do it is for networking purposes if you want to meet people in your industry it's great for that and i get tons and tons i could go to a networking event every day of the week through meetup and sometimes i have but there are many many other uses for meetup if you have a particular hobby if there's a particular subculture that you're part of if you're a nerd you're surely you're not a nerd are you no nerds listening if you're a nerd they're a nerd interest meetups. Uh, but there's everything. There's everything. Are you into cars? Are you into Italian food? Are you into Chinese food? Are you into Turkish food? Are you into Armenian food? All sorts of food. You can get together. Beer, What? you know, I could go on and on and on and on. There is a meetup there for you. And it's just it's this way to use the internet to interact with the real world. Now, internet communities Go way back now. They've been around for a long time. I've certainly been using them for a very long time, and I've seen them evolve. Now, speaking of nerds, if you're a nerd, like a a true nerd, not not the kind of nerd who's a nerd because you have nerdly interests, you go to Comic-Con, maybe you dress up, do some cosplay, if you're a nerd in that you're socially awkward, and maybe you are or are not interested in these things you know, the traditional nerds. You may not want to meet anyone in person, right? You don't want to get out there. And the internet was created by nerds. It was created by nerds. And they didn't want to meet anybody. The whole appeal of community on the internet initially was that you could participate in these groups, in these communities, and not actually have to talk to anyone, not actually have to make eye contact, no looking at anyone, no going anywhere. It was pretty awesome. I talk about Usenet newsgroups all the time in this podcast. I don't know why I talk about them so much. They're virtually dead today. But I used to be on these Usenet newsgroups all the time back in the mid to late 90s and even into the early 2000s. Just this kind of Wild West discussion um, uh, where you could talk to people all around the world about anything, but nobody wanted to meet anybody. That's what it was. They, they were there in the internet. But now with Meetup you can actually get out there into the real world. And that's because of how the internet has changed. It's gone from this platform used by socially awkward people to this platform used by everybody, this technology used by everybody. It affects all our lives. You know, I wrote a short story uh, back in the 90s, sort of at the outset of the internet world. Um, I think it may have been 93, 94, When I was doing some writing, I remember writing a short story about it was a sci-fi story about a world where nobody went anywhere and saw anybody or saw anybody because that's where I envisioned the Internet or or online services, as you might have said at the time, taking everything. Right. I put on my futurist hat and I thought this is what it's turning into. It's turning into this place where you can then the world is turning into this place or could turn into this place where you don't have to interact with anyone else nobody's going to because it's just easier not to that's where i thought it was going but i misjudged what people are really interested in people are social animals and they will always try to get together in real life they'll always try to meet up and when they had the internet as a tool they used the internet to enable that you can meet People today more easily than ever before, thanks to the internet. It's the opposite of the short story I wrote. People aren't in their own worlds as much anymore. They're going out there into the world more. That's what Meetup is all about. All these different groups, you know, if you were, for example, you know, say 25 years ago, uh, a craft beer enthusiast. Did that even exist 25 years ago? Did we have craft beer enthusiasts back then? Let's pretend that that it did if you liked making your own beer you know maybe you could order some books but you couldn't meet up with other people who did it there was really no way to do that but the internet enables you to do that and you can go out there tonight and do it if you want most likely you can connect with people just look at online dating for example there's a million online dating sites out there and there was a time back in the nerd days when online dating was stigmatized right if you did it, you'd have to lie about where you met somebody. But that stigma today is entirely, entirely gone. I know so many people who've done it in recent years. There is no stigma whatsoever. And why would there be? It's it's incredibly easy. It's a great way to meet new people. So why would it be stigmatized? Everybody's doing it. So the stigma has, has dissipated. Now, something that has helped tremendously in moving the internet into the real world is the smartphone right when you had a desktop computer sitting on your desk or even a laptop it wasn't that portable you know you were using it on your desk typically you were using it at home maybe in the case of a laptop you were going into a coffee shop and hauling it out and opening it and connecting to wi-fi but it was a stationary device and when smartphones emerged Suddenly, not only were they so much more portable than any other computing device, but they also had access to your location, which desktops and even laptops really did not. So they can tell you when your friends are nearby or say potential matches on dating apps or hookup apps. I don't know if you would call something like Tinder a dating app necessarily. It's more of a hookup app, but people still connect with each other and they connect each other by virtue of proximity even sites like Facebook, which don't necessarily hinge on this sort of thing, recognize the value of enabling real world connections. And they do that more and more. I get notifications from Facebook all the time saying, oh, so-and-so Facebook friend is near you right now. Do you want to meet up? And that's really cool. And they also provide a platform for you to organize events, You know, to send out invitations to your friends and meet in the real world, just like you would in meetup, but with your closed network, not with a, a network of anybody who who joins. So that's what's happened to the Internet. And as someone who's been there from the very beginning, I find it so interesting the way the Internet has opened up as the people who use the Internet, as, as the universe of people who use the Internet has opened up. How... It's become more social as more social people has taken over. It really gives you a lot of hope for the potential of the Internet and the way it can adapt to the people who use it, how it's always there. This is why I love technology so much and love the Internet so much. It is always there to enable whatever you want to do and what you want to do doesn't necessarily have to do with technology at all. But the internet can make it easier and make it better. And that's why I'm still so in love with the internet after all these years. Why it never really gets old for me. Why the the mystery of it and, and the majesty of it, to use a somewhat silly word. It's just that I don't lose my wonder for it. Because it never loses its wonder. You just keep seeing more and more wonders all the time. Even though innovation has slowed down, which we've talked about in the podcast before, there's still innovation to be done and there's still new things to be discovered. And there are even platforms that already exist that aren't that popular, that will get more popular as they evolve and as people's needs and desires change. Now, I only expect the Internet to get more social as the years go on. These lines between the digital world and the real world will get blurred. And when we talk about innovation slowing down, maybe that's where it picks up. Maybe that's where the innovation lies. I have a very, very good feeling that the next major website or app that you hear about that's got billions of users that's shooting to the top of the stock market, the next big thing is going to be about helping people connect. Since the 1990s, I've been hearing this same story all the time. And here's the story The story is you come home one day and you're running low on milk in your refrigerator. Your refrigerator detects that and orders you milk automatically. It is the connected refrigerator. And for some reason, when we talk about our connected world, That's the example people go to first. Now, I have long been skeptical that we will ever see popular adoption of the connected refrigerator. I just don't think it has that much mass appeal. I just don't think people are going necessarily to want things to be ordered automatically like that. I just don't think that everybody is going to be putting the appropriate chips into these food products, maybe it'll happen one day, but I don't know if there's ever gonna be widespread demand for it. However, that story has been told for a very long time and it keeps getting told. And why does it keep getting told? It keeps getting told because even though it may never happen, other things like it will. There was a time when a computer was a giant device, like ENIAC or UNIVAC, that fit in a huge room in a lab. That was what a computer was, that was all a computer was. Today, everything is a computer. You probably have 20 computers around you right now without even realizing it. Our cars are computers, our TVs are computers, our household appliances are computers. Everything is a computer. It changes the definition of what a computer even is. You know, you don't think of your smart TV as being a computer, but it's a computer. You don't even think, I find this really strange, you don't even think of your smartphone that you have in your pocket as being a computer. Why not? It's a computer. It's as much a computer as your laptop. It's as much of a computer as, frankly, that giant mainframe that filled up that huge room In the 60s, everything is a computer. Now, next week, we're going to look a lot at the evolution of computers from these huge devices to brains for all the objects in our lives. And we'll talk about how that's changed our world and how it will continue to change our world, define how we live our lives and where we're going as a society next week. As always, thanks so much for listening, everybody. And hey, happy Halloween. I know next week's not Halloween, but we will be here nonetheless on Tuesday with more news and more commentary. Maybe we'll even throw an interview in there this time. Let's see. The suspense is killing me, right? Should be killing you, too. My name's Steve Tushanko. Courage.